Hello and welcome to One Week, One Year, a podcast where we go through a year of cinema history every week uh, from 1895 to present. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Chris Ellie. I'm a film projectionist and film fan, and sitting with me is... I'm your other host, Glenn Covell. I'm a filmmaker and film fan. Mm, two big film fan boys. Two big old nerds talking about movies. Talking about old ass movies. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the intro. <laughs> um, well, uh, we like to start off this podcast with a little uh, historical context, seeing what's happening in the year that all of these films that we're talking about. This year is 1897, by the way. Uh, the uh, the historical context of the year that these movies are coming out. So, Glenn, would you like to read us the news? The news, 1897. The Journal Engineering speaks of the mechanical calculation device called a computer. William McKinley is sworn in as the 25th president of the United States. The Ottoman Empire claims a victory at the Greco-Turkish War. The uh, electron is discovered. The chemical adrenaline is, has been successfully isolated. Oscar Wilde is released from prison. Bram Stoker's novel Dracula is released. In the race to the North Pole, Sweden's S.A. Andri attempts the feat in a hydrogen balloon. All in the expedition parish. The first subway system opens in Boston. Nineteen striking immigrant miners are massacred by the sheriff and his posse at the Latimer Mine in Pennsylvania. The Korean Empire is formed. Dos Equis beer is first brewed in Mexico, the two X's referring to the upcoming 20th century. The New York Sun answered definitively, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Thank you, Glenn, for that news report. Of, uh, <laughs> or the olds report, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, correct. I guess that is what it would be. Uh, well, uh, a no another notable thing that happened this year, by the way, which we didn't include in the news report because we wanted to go in a little more detail, uh, is on May 4th, 1897. Uh, there Star Wars was... Day. <laughs> Proto-Star Wars Day. Only, um, <laughs> only what, 70-something 70, some, 70 years early? Yeah. Um, on May 4th, uh, there was a charity bazaar that was <clears throat> that was attended by the uh, by members of the upper class, kind of socialites and and uh, duchesses and whatnot. The the Parisian elite. The Parisian elite, yeah, uh, and they were running films at this charity bazaar. I think they were also like buying and selling things uh, for for charity, and. Uh, there in in the film room, uh, there was a catastrophe. Uh, the ether that was being used to fuel the projector lamp caught on fire, and uh, it lit the entire building on fire. And uh, 126 people died because there weren't many paths of egress in this building. This kind of has. I don't know exactly what materials all of this early film was made out of, um, but this has echoes of a lot of like celluloid nitrate disasters from yeah from later in film history. Um, I can imagine that it might not have just been ether; like it could have been any kind of nitrate film that uh, was in there that might have exacerbated the problem. Right, because I, I think 
Yeah, that wasn't what started the fire, but I'm sure it, it didn't help much. I'm sure once yeah. the, the actual film stock caught fire, it, it uh, made it much worse. You know, the funny thing is, like, you know, funny, a uh, hundred plus years in, in retrospect, but... Um, uh, this... Tragedy plus time. <laughs> yeah, and now it's funny, uh, is that uh, <laughs> th- th- embedded in this story is a bit of, like... Uh, projectionist anxiety which is (laughs) (laughs) which is what i have felt at at times in my as a projectionist um because you're you're always careful around the ether (laughs) well thankfully no ether involved now but um what the reason why the ether caught on fire was because i guess the way that it worked was that the ether was powering the the light of the projector but it was run it like ran out every once in a while and they had to reinstall the ether but when they did because there was no light in the room they couldn't see what they were doing and so the projectionist or the cinematic the cinematograph operator and his assistant um they were trying to see to to see where to uh uh they, they were like the light went out and it was dark in the entire theater. And that's the projection anxiety that I'm talking about where something goes wrong and the, the, the entire theater is dark and everybody's waiting for you to fix it. And so you're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. Um, and, uh, in their haste, maybe not thinking things through so clearly, they lit a match right near the, uh, <laughs> mm. right near where all of the ether was and the ether vapor caught on fire. They lit the match to see, and the ether the ether la- vapor caught on fire, and that was the source of all of this catastrophe. Um, and then while I was researching this, apparently just uh, uh, last year, a French drama miniseries was made about this uh, this event, uh, which is a Netflix original called "The Bonfire of Destiny." Um, and it's very it's very soapy and dramatic. I kind of skimmed through the first episode. Uh, <laughs> did you did you um know about all of this uh, going in, Glenn? No, I I had no idea about it until you just told me about it. Um, but it's it's definitely an interesting story and kind of like yeah, I don't know if it's like it's like the first tragedy, I guess, involved with um. It might be like the first film related death, and it was one hundred and twenty six. It does seem kind of like a notable bookmark in the early history um, about the, the dangers of film projection. It's a dangerous job, but, you know. There's a lot of chemicals involved. Uh, maybe not so much these days. Maybe some mercury yeah. in the in the circuit mm. boards or whatever, because <laughs> it's all computers, man. And, you know, <laughs> if you're watching a digital projection, man, you know, like, uh, you might as well just be watching TV, all right? <laughs> <laughs> shout out quentin tarantino um what one one thing that i thought was kind of funny was while i was uh uh scrubbing through the first episode of the bonfire of destiny um it it shows the scene of the the audience watching the film and you see uh the arrival of the train at the station or la ciotat mm. and uh and all the people in the audience go oh and they jump out of their seats um <laughs> And uh, and then they play the sprinkler sprinkled as well. I guess it was oh, a Lumiere classic. feature, according yeah. to uh, this 
this thing. Citation needed. Um, and then they're all, ho, ho, ho. They watch the scamp come in from the right side in that, in that movie. And they're like, oh, watch out. He's coming. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a Lumiere feature, wasn't it? I have no idea. I didn't know. That was, that was two whole weeks ago. I, I can't be expected to remember that. Oh, no, no. I mean, uh, yes, it, those are both Lumiere features. But uh, I, I was unclear of if the actual movies playing at that fire were Lumiere movies. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a, a good point. Um, well, it was in France, so. So who cares? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out France. <laughs> um, I guess we can move on to the actual movies of 1897 now instead of the disasters of 1897. <laughs> uh, yeah. What jumped um, out to you here, Glenn? Uh, I mean, definitely George Melies again. Mm-hmm. Um, he Killing definitely it. seems to be, yeah, uh, just going whole, whole hog on effects and different genres and different types of things. He definitely seems like kind of the most ambitious guy working in terms of like what he's trying to put on screen. Yeah. He's, he seems to be bringing like so much, uh, so much kind of theatrical, not even theatrical, like, like theatrical as in like stage theater like with the backgrounds and props and everything but then also amplifying that with because a lot of other people have just like kind of standard basic boring setups or or they're just set in real life you know um but Melies has got these like fantastical painted backdrops and different effects and oh it's wonderful yeah he's doing a lot more kind of like uh fantasy and and horror i guess um i almost kind of uh debate whether or not his earlier movies could be considered horror though because i feel like they're less they're not really trying to be scary they're trying to be spooky in like a halloween kind of sense but in like in like a fun kind of like uh maybe it is just my modern sensibilities where i don't find like bats in and of themselves scary <laughs> um but it is it is sort of more just like ooh, exciting and less like actual you know terror that he's trying to put on screen he's really just having people poof around in puffs of smoke and and switch clothes and things yeah it's yeah it's like mad it's it's people doing magic but yeah he made like a remake of the haunted castle which was in color and mm. like a bit shorter just doing some other kind of substitution cut tricks yeah um, it uh it definitely it's it's not it's not as good as has the devil um yeah it's weird the original the one he made what 1896 yes the first one mm-hmm. is called house of the devil or mansion of the devil in french is the french title mm-hmm. but it was called the haunted castle when it came out in uh in america and then this second movie, which is kind of a remake, is called The Haunted Castle in French, but it's called <laughs> House of the Devil in English. But yeah, Melies just like killing it this year. Yeah. Um as as usual. Um, um this was the first hand colored Melies film, which I didn't realize. I mean I don't really associate a lot of his stuff with hand coloration. I guess Trip to the Moon lit down the road has some some hand colored stuff in it mm-hmm. um but I, that's kind of interesting that he's he's uh he's not the first 
to kind of employ that technique, but it's interesting to see him kind of jump into that that uh, that technique here. That's cool. I mean, you know, he would he would be experimenting with all the possible techniques. Mm. Um, the actual color was done by a a mother daughter team, uh, mm. Elizabeth and Bertha Thuillier. I'm probably butchering their names. Ooh, Apologies nice credit. to their ancestors uh, or descendants, I should say. Um, but they it's went on to work. Interesting that. Do... Oh, go on. Sorry, I was just gonna say they they went on to do more uh color work for melier's movies it's interesting how a lot of uh early film grunt work was done by women um from now from this point up until even the 1950s and 1960s -hmm. with the sort of legacy of women being editors in film up until the point where it was quote-unquote a respected part of the (laughs) art form and then men started doing it too um yeah yeah, I wonder what's up with that. I mean, sexism, sexism mostly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the main thing. Um, yeah, it is. I'm I'm kind of interested to see how that kind of to like chart that over the course of of like film development and kind of see how how that plays into it. Yeah, and to kind of yeah. keep an eye on just like who is doing who is doing what on on some of these movies. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it would it would. Uh... We, we we should focus in on on women and uh like early black filmmakers too when possible i know that there are like some pretty impressive black silent films that i suppose we will get to soon yeah ish <laughs> um so uh do you have anything else to say about haunted castle not really i mean i didn't like it as much as has the devil it's it's a lot shorter it's it seems kind of more simplistic it, it's not as uh it's not as grand yeah it kind of just seems like he's doing the same thing again hmm um but he starts doing some kind of funky other stuff with yeah he's uh, uh doing some different genres yeah yeah branching out a lot it's kind of wild how many different genres you're seeing from him uh you kind of associate him with all of these trick films and magic films but He's, uh, he did, um, The Last Cartridges, which I thought Mm -hmm. was interesting. Um. Yeah. Which is a, a movie that is based on a painting that is based on a battle. Uh, it's, uh, it was the Battle of Sedan during the Franco-Prussian War in 18, uh, or or the painting was from 1870, and it's this scene that's almost like kind of gritty and realistic in a way, especially compared to Melies' more fanciful stuff. Um, yeah. That's just like, it's, it's this battle scene and this retreating uh, group of soldiers kind of goes, goes into this house. Um, and uh, you see them like kind of pointing their guns behind them, trying to f- fight whoever is back the other way. They're, they're shooting out of the windows and, uh, like part part of the roof ends up caving in. There's like smoke and and someone dies. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> um, and then there's like a like a nun who in the building who's tending to this like injured or, or dead soldier. And it's like it's it's quite um yeah it's quite like a a realistic war movie in a way. Just like a scene. But yeah, yeah. it's cool to see Melies use kind of a lot of the same techniques 
um, well, with like smoke and uh, and framing and like the way he kind of builds his sets, um, just in a, in a very different way from the stuff that is normally more associated with with him. Yeah. Um, I don't know for sure, but is this could be the first war movie? It looks, uh, yeah, I, I had a feeling that might be the case. Um, I just think it's 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 really cool that it's based on a painting, just because like most of the films from this time are are kind of more just moving photographs, just a single shot of something happening. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just a cool idea to sort of take that and to adapt a painting into a a moving image. Only only in the era when uh when movies have no cuts and um, and are just yeah. literal tableaus, uh, could you adapt a painting and have it be pretty faithful? <laughs> yeah, it's very faithful. Um, I am, I'm looking at the painting right now, and it's like, you know, it's a very dramatic war scene. It's kind of depicting a similar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's neat. Um, it, it, it's, it probably speaks to the... I mean, you know, painters at this time are looking into co- are thinking about composition, and mm-hmm. uh, it seems that some filmmakers were looking to painting to figure out how to frame their shots if they're like literally remaking paintings as yeah. films. Which I mean, that still it still happens that shots in movies will be uh, almost direct adaptations of different paintings. Like that still happens a lot. That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's this is sort of the the uh, what is it the inception of that concept. Um, we'll get to inception <laughs> one day. <laughs> um, yeah, he also did uh, the surrender of uh, Tornavos, mm-hmm. which is another war film. It's not quite as dramatic. Um, Though someone does die. Yes. This is true. And it still has a very sort of elaborate set. Yeah. Um, and has a lot of kind of effects and spectacle without necessarily ghouls and, and skeletons. Um, he also did two films, which I call the rocking ship movies, <laughs> which are, I think they use the same set, just kind of redressed. Uh, sea Combat in Greece and Between Calais and Dover. Yeah. Um, and the whole kind of gimmick of them is that they're they're on they're set on on ships, and the whole kind of set is rocking back and forth, kind of in a uh, almost like a Star Trekky kind of way. But yeah, the set, although the set not it, although better than a Star Trekky yeah, way because because the, actual... the set is moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because the camera is stationary, and he he set up the entire set on a giant rig that so it's like this it's it's this kind of straight down down the the bow shot of a boat um and then you're seeing the deck of the boat and all the people kind of i don't know what you would call it wobbling wobbling back and forth when i when i first watched between calais and dover i i kind of rewound it a bit to try and figure out if it was the camera moving or if it was the set moving um Mm. and so i like i like zeroed in on this table that fell over and i was like ah aha you know (laughs) Um, I wonder, yeah, camera movement still so uncommon at this point. I mean, they're yeah. probably just on tripods and sensitive equipment that you couldn't move. So maybe it made more sense to move the entire set versus the camera. Mm-hmm. 
I think they're not even on tripods. I think they're on whole like whole tables, just because like the pictures oh. I've seen of uh, at least the Lumiere uh, camera is like a whole. It's like a. It is like a mm. like a desk. Um. But uh, yeah, Sea Combat in Greece I thought was the better of the two because uh, you, you kind of get a bit more background behind the boat to to sell the effect that is like the background is not moving and so then the boat rocking kind of you can kind of get a better sense of that oh uh, yeah that's um, true yeah, and it has more explosions <laughs> and the notable thing about surrender of tornavos uh along with sea fighting in greece is that they are depicting the greco-turkish war that we talked about in the news segment mm. um th- these were a number of movies many of which are lost uh that uh george Melies did that were reenactments of um of like news items of the day very um, topical yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's like kind of early newsreel sort of stuff um but you know because they couldn't bring a camera actually there they kind of just dramatized the scenes for the for the mm. audience at the time um there were i think two or three more about the greco-turkish war that are lost and then he did two about an, an indian revolt against british colonists uh which are also lost um as per usual we're, we're watching every single available melies yeah. movie uh but the majority of them are gone um yeah uh one of the other ones we did get to see is on the roofs yeah which is sort of a silly slapstick comedy i guess it's kind of, it's pretty dark though <laughs> yeah it's like i mean i guess the bad guys sort of win in that one uh but yeah would you you want to describe the what we're looking at with that i one? mean yeah it's sort of like a um a pretty cool set with sort of like these like cutouts of of rooftops and chimneys and things uh to placed in three dimensions to kind of give it some depth and we yeah, it's see like a two night skyline. Uh, two two uh burglars in stripy shirts uh jump down into this woman's window and throw her off a balcony like they're they're breaking into a home and she screams and so they they like pull her out of the balcony and just throw her off the edge and she falls out of the bottom of the frame presumably to her death and then a kind of uh napoleonic policeman uh runs across the roof and a, a jean valjean type yes <laughs> and attempts to to kind of uh jump through the skylight to apprehend them but he kind of just falls falls through with his butt sticking out that's um, funny though he's a very bumbling guy yeah <laughs> it, was, it was some some good kind of uh some uh chore- choreography i guess um and so he gets stuck in there and flails around and and then the burglars get away um i mean yeah the the thing that stuck out to me with that one the most was i think the the set design of it yeah um also pre-code because the bad guys win Um, yeah (laughs) important to note um yeah he uh, did another kind of remake um the bewitched inn which is kind of a remake of a terrible night um another kind of guy wants to go to bed but spooky things keep happening movie um still has like kind of weird casual racism in it which i guess is just a 
French thing from the 1890s. Which, Wait, when did that happen? I don't remember that. Uh, it, it There's just paintings on the wall, which are very characterized. Um, oh. mm. And I was like, ooh, yikes. <laughs> um, Melies is in that one. I'm not sure exactly how many of these he's in. I know for a fact he's in that one. Yeah, he's um, in heavy costuming in a lot of these. But this one, you yeah. can tell it's him. He, uh, he is a very good kind of like pantomime actor, though. Yeah, it's like the 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 physical comedy in that one is really good. I mm-hmm. think uh, the uh, the boots walking away on the run is a good, a good guy, yeah. I thought. <laughs> that one was fun. Yeah, basically, um, it's just like a bunch of things disappearing, and and this is like him really getting good with that jump cut, like yeah. substitution thing. It's pretty. It's, it's pretty. It's seamless. really really smooth in this one, and he's using it in combination with like. Uh, still pulling stuff on wires and kind of like things disappearing into the set. Like he's he's using a combination of techniques and doing them so quickly, kind of cycling through them, that it even to a modern eye where it's like I know exactly how he's doing all these things. It's still kind of uh, just to follow all of them at once. You're like whoa whoa that thing, whoa, whoa. yeah yeah he really um, sells it yeah. Um and then one more quite notable Melies <laughs> film from this time. Yeah. The 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 famous, the infamous after the ball. Is it infamous? <laughs> I don't know. Um I mean I feel yeah. like anything that is a this kind of subject yeah. matter, this kind That's, of raciness. It's another infamous. woman taking off a thousand layers of clothing film. <laughs> it's the the subgenre. Um this one is notable in that it has fake nudity though, which the others did not. Yeah? Or like semi semi real, right? I mean, there's well, like a butt. It has a fake butt. It's not real. No, it's the actor was wearing a full body stocking, painted to look like a butt. Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's so they, amazing. They could, they could only have movie magic butts, and uh, at this point, um, you know, it's funny <laughs> because like I guess because. The Edward Moybridge stuff from the 1870s was trying to be all scientific and everything. Um, it didn't really need to have the pretense of, of uh, or, 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 you know, it wasn't like this commercial object where if you're having nudity in it, it's a big problem in the 1890s. Mm. Because, yeah. you know, he was just like, I'm a scientist studying human motion, so I'm photographing hundreds of naked people doing sports and whatever. Yeah. Um, I thought another notable thing about this one is that um, there's like a kind of maiden, I don't know what you would call her, like uh, like who is assisting the person undressing. And there's a point where she kind of looks at the camera and goes like, get a load of this, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would prefer that to the like creepy dude like wiping his brow and peeking, which was uh, the, was it the like woman on her wedding night i forget right. i don't remember what the english translation was yeah um so this one seemed despite the fake nudity slightly less creepy yeah than the others um there's also a bit where the 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 handmaiden or whatever uh pours or su- is supposed to pour water over the the woman bathing but they used sand instead of water because the water would make the the actor too cold and so it looks like they're just pouring this like nasty black water <laughs> over <laughs> that'll get um, you clean <laughs> yeah it doesn't really it doesn't really sell the effect super well um 
but it's you know it's interesting to see i guess melier is kind of jumping into into this new genre of film also yeah i mean there's Um, nothing he won't do right (laughs) um i i was thinking it was a bit notable um uh just based on the kind of the handmaiden mugging for the camera that like it might be the first like fourth wall break kind of like there there were films that were hmm. made with a person knowing that they're talking to a camera but then this is the the first one that is pretending to be in a scenario and then breaking that and acknowledging the camera as right far as almost I like a, a deliberate breaking of the fourth wall yeah hmm yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I haven't thought about that. I didn't I didn't even really pick up on the uh on the glance um with that yeah, the look to camera. <laughs> um I do think I guess we can take this use this movie as a as a pivot point to talk about I don't know, one thing that I kind of see cropping up in some of these early films is like the the concept of voyeurism. Oh, interesting. Um, which is another thing that is like very, just has a a long history with film. (laughs) Like film has, there's a lot of kind of inherent voyeurism in, in film just as like an artistic medium. Um, I guess considering the whole thing of it is that they're like pointing some observation device at the people that they're, that they're filming, that that might be center in their mind a bit. But it's like almost right away. There's sort of this thing of like, ooh, let's show like stuff that we're not supposed to see, right? <laughs> kind of, ooh, let's be creepy about it. Um, yeah, and... I mean, like we were talking about last week with film, just like having at, at some points having this kind of unseemly reputation about it too, mm. with the with the uh, um, the the little the mutoscope peep show kind of things. Yeah um well yeah there's there's the the new genre of of pillow fight movies (laughs) um which i'm not sure is entirely supposed to be like super voyeuristic but it's just like i'm like why why do we need this (laughs) yeah um and uh there was also a, a film in 1897 which i now believe is lost but while looking it up, it's called Peeping Tom. And everywhere you look on the internet, it, the, any sort of like still image or video of it is of this movie of a guy kind of like looking through different keyholes and doors, the different scenes. And it immediately stuck out to me. It's like, wait a minute, there's edits in this. Right. There's like different shots as he's looking in the different doors. And I'm like, holy shit, this is huge. This is a huge development. How have I never heard of this before? This is like, is crazy. Like, how come this doesn't get credit as like the the first movie with proper edits in it? Right. And so then I was trying to look up more about it. And I was like, I couldn't find any, any, uh, any credits for it really. And um, other than the fact that it was made by the biograph company, which was WK Dixon's film company. He started after he sort of left working with Edison to kind of devote all of his time to making movies. Um, that's really the only information on it anywhere. And then I started trying to find more about it, and uh, I'm fairly certain, not entirely sure, but fairly certain, according to a single line on Wikipedia, 
that the film that I watched and that is sort of associated with this 1897 movie is in fact a different film called Through the Keyhole from 1901. Hmm. Um, which would make sense. Yeah. Um, the original, I, I believe, is probably lost. But I think it's interesting that it's like the only place, like everywhere you search this on YouTube, it's like credited as an 1897 film. But then you can also watch Through the Keyhole properly credited credited as like the right title the right filmmaker <laughs> the right year and it's the exact same movie um that seems to be happening so much i mean i think part of what it is is that like there are so many of the same type of movie being made and remakes of mm-hmm. movies and people making new versions of their old movies it's all very like like movie they're all getting conflated with each other yeah uh, on this fairly poorly documented website called youtube.com <laughs> um i also found i found a remake uh from 1905 called peeping tom in the dressing room which has no edits in it is a single set kind of with a wall straight down the middle um which i'm fairly certain i'm guessing but is, is probably how the original was shot also because hmm. um, that feels much more kind of a piece with the other films from from this year. Um, so I thought I had discovered I'd made some some grand discovery about the history of film editing, and uh, it turns <laughs> out I, d- I was just uh, fooled by poor YouTube uh, labeling. It'll be interesting to see how that develops in the next four years, though, um, because if something with editing that that uh, common and that uh, confident is happening four years from now i guess we've, we're going to mm. be seeing some developments pretty soon uh yeah i i hope so um another filmmaker from this time that we watched a couple films from was a guy uh george albert smith mm-hmm. who like Melies, was a uh a hypnotist kind of uh showman um, he was English. He was a hypnotist, psychic, magic lantern lecturer, uh, <laughs> an inventor. Wow. Which is uh, quite the claim to fame. Um, I watched three of his movies, and they were all very silly. Like, <laughs> in a different way, I felt, from the other comedies. Like, there's something about George Albert Smith movies that are just very silly, and like knowingly silly, in a huh. way that I feel like the others aren't. I I'm looking at the three that I watched and uh, I think I know what you're talking about with the X-ray fiend at least, but uh, yeah, that's then that, that's the best one. And the most notable one, I think. Yeah. I what think it's ca- funny that depending on where you look, it has two titles, either the X-rays or the much better, the X-ray fiend. I know. Exactly. No, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote, I, I made that call as well when I was writing it down. I was like, I could call this the X-rays or I could call it the X-ray fiend. And one of these is definitely going to win yeah. here. Why would anyone ever choose to call it just the X-rays? It's it, it, well, yeah, the difference. So in, in this, in this film, it's these two people sitting on a bench and it's like a man trying to court a woman in her Victorian style dress. Uh, and then this rascal, he's not even, <laughs> uh, it, it's another, another film where a rascal comes in from the right side of the frame, 
but this guy's <laughs> this guy's a bit older and maybe dressed like a scientist or something like that. And oh my god, <laughs> like <laughs> he has he has a big old tissue box essentially. <laughs> Just a, a big box, yeah. A big box with a tube on, with a with a toilet paper tube on the end of it. It looks very janky, and then yeah. it just says X Ray on the side in big block <laughs> letters. Um, yeah, almost like, like a Looney Tunesian sort of device. It is, yeah. It feels very kind of like Acme X Ray machine. Yeah, kind of. It's like so cartoonish and over the top. Yeah, and so and so then he he takes this device and he points the tube at them, and and zaps them with X rays, and then they turn into skeletons. Yeah, well, they don't necessarily turn into skeletons, but it's like they get shot with X rays, and then we see them as skeletons. Huh, ambiguous. But, I like yeah. to think they're turned into skeletons. Well, because I, I think unlike the skeletons in mostly they're in like the Melies movies, which are like prop skeletons hanging from wires. These are people in sort of like black stockings with bones painted on them. Yeah. Like sort of the, the, the classic uh, Halloween skeleton costume. Yeah. And they they continue the scene without realizing that either they're being zapped or they're being, or they are currently skeleton. Yeah. Like they, they don't react at all. They continue, you know, their Victorian uh, courtship unperturbed by the fact that they are skeletons. Um, and then, and then the guy turns the machine off and then they go back to being regular people. Yeah. Um, or, or we go back to seeing them as regular people. Uh, um, and, and the woman rejects the man and that's the, that's the end yeah. of it. Um, yeah. Which is like, it did remind you of, of Melies maybe it's just in that it is kind of a trick film and it, it's kind of all based around this this effect, which is just done with jump cuts. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of people are just... picking up on Melies's uh, sensibilities, maybe of yeah his kind of macabre and his macabre sensibilities, his his like his like of jump cuts and to do mm-hmm. effects that kind of thing. Uh, you start seeing uh, George Albert Smith doing it. You see Alice Guy Blanche doing it a little bit, um, and you see the Lumieres even getting into it just a just a smidge. Mm-hmm. I think some of that like macabreness is from the time period. Also, hmm. I haven't read up on it enormous, enormously, but I know that the the sort of like late eighteen uh, hundreds was um, a, a sort of a time where people would. There was a lot of, uh, I'm trying to think what the right term for it is. I think it's just spiritualism. There was kind of this whole movement of, like, believing in in uh, s- spirits coming back from the dead to sort of contact the living. And so there were lots of seances oh. hmm. and psychics and sort of, like, that stuff was very popular of, like, ghosts, like, ghost stories. And, that might have been when Ouija um, boards first popped off, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, it was very, you know, all those Victorian folks are real into, like, thinking about ghosts. Um, Mm. And so I think that kind of is crossing over. I mean, you know, Dracula was published this year, which is, like, where all all modern vampire mythology comes from. Yeah. Um, You're also making me think of the... um 
the Winchester Mystery House. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I am. I actually worked briefly with a descendant of the Winchester family, like a legit member of the Winchester family that was mostly just very annoyed that her great-great-grandmother would ever spend a bunch of money on a house and got no inheritance from it. <laughs> wow. Um, well, for, for those who haven't heard, the Winchester Mystery House is uh, uh, in California, I believe, and it, it is... Uh, it, built in the Victorian time, in Victorian times, if I remember correctly, and mm-hmm. it is the widow of the the guy, the Winchester who made the guns, um, and she lived after after her husband died. She lived the rest of her life in fear of all of the ghosts of the people killed by her husband's guns, and so she used her fortune to make an extremely strange house where stairs lead to nowhere and there are, you know, rooms that are tiny and whatever. Um, and to, to, to fool all of the ghosts who are trying to come for her. And she was, it was always under construction and she was changing things to try and keep the ghosts on, off on their, on their on toes. The toes. Yeah. <laughs> Throw the ghosts off the rhythm. <laughs> um, which it seems a little silly to me. And they're like, Ghosts can walk through walls, so why why would they get stuck in a maze? Um, <laughs> the, the ghosts just have no clip activated at all points. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think some of that, like, just, I do think Melies is kind of pushing that stuff. Like, I think people are kind of, if not copying off of him, are definitely kind of inspired by what he's doing um and rightly kind of so he's following his lead yeah but i think part of why i think his movies are were so popular and probably why people were sort of copying that aspect from his movies was because there was a sort of like greater cultural uh fascination with with ghosts and and spooky things mm. yeah i mean i i something that i found in my research this week um but I probably didn't start happening quite yet. Uh, is that people were literally copying Melies uh, and like making copies of his movies and pirating his movies. And Whoa. eventually, eventually in the in a, a couple of years from this point, he started shooting with two cameras at the same time, Tommy Wiseau style, so <laughs> that he could uh, so that he could he could have one film negative that would be for international markets and one that would be for domestic markets and uh wow uh, and he could he he set up like a whole american distribution company and everything uh because edison himself and plenty of other people uh literally just took like pirated his movies and released (laughs) them as their own you know and then meliers wrote a letter to edison saying you wouldn't steal a car ah classic (laughs) the early the early film pirates (laughs) uh that's really interesting i think that rings a bell like i I think i did hear about that but uh, that's that's so interesting that like again right from the get-go people are like we're just gonna steal this yeah it's so it's so neat it's i don't know if it's neat but it's like it's it's kind of fascinating how we're, we're looking at these super old movies and finding things in common with all of the rest of film history. Like, we didn't realize how baked into film a lot of this stuff was. 
Yeah. Including yeah. piracy. <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty crazy how so many things that we associate with with cinema are like right off the bat. Yeah. Just like getting it getting it started real, real early. Um what were the other two George Albert Smith movies that you watched? I saw Old Man Drinking a Glass of Beer. Yeah, I saw that uh, one. And The Miller and the Sweep. Yeah, same. Okay. Um, Old Man Drinking Beer is pretty self-explanatory, I think. Um, yeah. It's also very silly in like a... Not necessarily in a different way from other movies from this time, but just like the silliness is really strong with that one. Um <laughs> I thought it was funny. It's it started a comedian named Tom Green, um, and I was like, "Wow, Tom Green has been working a long time." <laughs> um, shout out to Tom Green. <laughs> um, and yeah, Miller and the Sweep I thought was was quite fun. Yeah, I I, I like Miller and the Sweep a lot actually. Um, mm-hmm. It it's um it's it's set outside. It's um a giant moving windmill in the background that like just looms over the entire shot uh, and gives the whole thing so much cool motion but the main the main thing that's happening is in the foreground where there's uh, a miller who is for, who's walking to or from the the mill and carrying a big bag of flour um just bumps into a chimney sweep uh <laughs> carrying a bag of chimney dust or whatever <laughs> you know and, chimney dust and uh and because they 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 were like, hey, I'm walking here, kind of, you know, they they start fighting each other, and it's kind of neat because it's like it's like a a very early aspect of like the thing you'll see in like westerns or kung fu movies a lot of the time, where like one person is all in white and the other one's all in black, so you can kind of like make easier sense right, of the yeah. fight that you're looking in front of you, you know, and because they're both carrying different colored bags of powder like the powder starts flying in the air and uh and it's like a pretty like well done fight scene kind of uh it's it's silly but it's it's well done yeah um another thing that uh stuck out to me is how like uh how effective it uses like things entering and exiting frame for comedic effect mm, yeah um i think one of the things that's chased off screen at one point and then gets chased back onto screen and across to their side by an, an angry mob. Yeah. That part, I didn't really understand why an angry mob just kind of showed up and chased them away. But I think just cause it was funny, but yeah. <laughs> I was like, I chuckled. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see, I don't really know that much about George Albert Smith. I hadn't really, uh, I wasn't really aware of him before we started, uh, doing this. And so I'm I'm curious to see how uh how his films develop and just to see more stuff that he did just cuz like I do feel like a lot of these movies do feel kind of samey and it's yeah. it it's I was struck by how um how clear of like a voice came through in his movies. Oh, neat. Like um that. yeah. Uh another notable filmmaker from this time was uh, Alice Guy Blanchet, who I butchered the name of last last week. Oh, and I guess I just did um, a couple minutes ago too. It's fine. I I look I looked I looked her up to make sure I could pronounce her very French name correctly, mm-hmm. and I heard it said many times. Um, there's a documentary uh, about her that I I gotta check out. Oh no way! Um, I gotta yeah, check that out too. A, a pretty recent one. 
um, narrated by Jodie Foster. Uh, nice. <laughs> so if that's the way that Jodie Foster says it, I'm going to, I'm going to trust her. Um, and uh, we talked about her last week uh, because her first film was released, but it is now a lost film. And we had yeah. to, we had to watch a remake that she made later. Um, but this year is the earliest surviving film that she made which is mm-hmm. at the hypnotists which is more magician than hypnosis stuff yeah it's it's got some some more good jump cut effects um and she did this and and another one called the burglars which are both very much in the vein of amelie's film mm-hmm. um yeah but you know you could you could say that she was ripping them off but everybody's ripping each other off and honestly i think that the way that these two films were done was a lot better than pretty much anyone else except melies like technique wise i would even got to say i thought the burglars was the superior rooftop chase film of 1897 Ah. i would say it was it was the dante's peak to (laughs) george melies volcano I've seen none of those movies, but neither of those movies, but I guess we'll both watch both of them in what, 1973 yeah. or whatever when they were made. Um, no, that's the nineties. Um, oh, okay. What are, what are some other ones? Uh, it was the, I don't know. That was the best example I could think of. As I mean, like, I feel like a, 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 a deep impact and Armageddon are the kind of big one. Is, is the one that yeah. people talk about. I feel like there's the less consensus over which one of those is better uh-huh like it's more it's more like whichever oh, one see. whichever one you like says a lot about who you are as a person kind of thing i suppose whereas so. dante's peak is pretty much i think everyone kind of agrees dante's peak is a better movie than volcano hmm. if you don't write write in and explain why, why volcano is a superior volcano film <laughs> if you don't uh, leave a comment down below uh, yes. after you like and subscribe <laughs> uh but anyway alice guy blanchet um uh yeah i mean like yeah i i thought her movies were quite good um yeah um there's definitely a lot of they feel very um i feel like a lot of these movies feel kind of thrown together um Mm -hmm. or sort of haphazard in a way whereas uh hers feel very deliberate Mm. in i mean it's i'm 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 always sort of trying to find like differences between these movies because I think they can kind of blend together and any yeah. sort of like thing that stick out sticks out to me. I try to really make note of, mm, true. so I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Like it's pretty subtle in terms of like how much more deliberate her movies are. Um, but I, it, I definitely got, they feel less like it was just people kind of like rushing into a room, like, Oh, we got to make something. And then like throwing stuff onto screen. Like, yeah, the action seemed planned. The sets were well designed. Um, There's like a greater sense of almost like choreography and blocking. I think. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that her and two of the other things that she released this year were just two kind of simple actualities set at a river, um, which kind of underscores to me like the kind of two main branches of film that are happening right mm. now which yeah. are like actualities and just real completely real life stuff that let me see it. um uh 
so so like there were there were basically completely real things and complete and completely fantastical things mm, like what you yeah. were seeing with Melies and these these um these uh two Guy, uh, Guy Blanchet movies are kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum of, of films being released right now but like people I was looking at a few Edison films and they were um they were they were actualities right but they were actualities of, like recorded like dance performances or something like that where it's serpentine like, dances serpentine dances and <laughs> like just dances in front of crowds and that kind of thing yeah um and so there's this gradation between just completely um oh what's the word for it the the documentary like verite style um yeah like i'm just putting a camera in front of stuff and you're watching it because it's a slice of life um then there's like slightly set up and then there are, um, there are the reenactments that are happening, like Meliers mm-hmm. did, that are like getting a little more into the fakery. Uh, and then there's just the completely wild trick films, you know? Yeah. Um. And, but but yeah, like there like there isn't really narrative stuff happening right now so much, but but you're getting like theming of like fantastical theming and real life kind of documentary kind of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah uh one thing about the the two actualities that Guy Blanchet did that I watched um the first is bathing in a stream which is just a bunch of a bunch of I don't know teens uh bathing in a stream (laughs) sort of the the 1890s stand by me of of films I haven't seen the stand by me I just know it's about teens in the woods (laughs) That's yeah. I've, um, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's a another stream-based one, the Fisherman at the Stream, uh, which is kind of continues the genre of young rascals messing with fellas, trying to do their job and getting wet. Um, and it's a guy fishing at a stream, and then the teens from bathing in a stream kind of sneak up behind him and push him in the in the water. Oh wow! I guess that maybe isn't an actuality in that case. It's um, more of like a f- deliberate scene, probably. Well, it's you know it's because I feel like bathing in a stream does definitely feel like an actuality, where it, like she just went out to a stream and there was some people playing in the water, and she was like, "Great, this is yeah, this is a film." But yeah, fishing with the stream feels pretty uh, staged. That's I mean, maybe maybe those those teens just decided to push a, a fisherman into the river. And then she was like, yes, perfect. <laughs> she was like, perfect. I got it. <laughs> ah, film. Um, but I, I doubt it. Um, it did it did definitely remind me of uh, The Sprinkler Sprinkled in the way it's kind of set up. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, I think this is a bit of a stretch, but it could be considered the first sequel. <laughs> Since it's like Bathing in the Stream is like one whole film. One whole actuality yeah. film, and then there's one that has the same characters come back and do ah, a new thing. Interesting. This is, I don't know what is credited as the first movie sequel. I doubt it's this. You gotta uh, contest that. But uh, I don't know. That was what it made me think of. And it'll be another, you know, hundred and fifteen or so years before we get the first squeakquel. But uh, 
We're we're gonna get there. <laughs> yeah. One day. Uh. <laughs> um an important landmark in film history. And, you know, I guess we can uh check in on what the Lumieres are doing. I think they're just kinda keeping on trucking and doing yeah. their thing. I think what they're doing is a bit less kind of exciting. Um but is is still notable. Um I definitely noticed like they're really kind of pushing kind of the more exotic at least to their primarily european audience i should say um with like they're really they're sending out people to all over the world like like there's film from egypt and jerusalem and kyoto yeah. and um, a lot of it's a lot of it's being shot by alexander promio and i was thinking how great of a job it would be to for to like literally just be paid to go around the world and see the coolest things in the world and just get film of them, you know? Yeah. And that's what people want, so they'll pay you to do it. Um like what a dream job that <laughs> that Alexander yeah. Romeo had. Um and these at least to me were less um they were less kind of like exciting or notable in sort of what they were doing with I guess in relation to film history and more just sort of cool snapshots into different parts of the world uh at the time yeah yeah definitely um because i feel like we're we're much more used to seeing i think like uh victorian europe as opposed to like victorian jerusalem or victorian japan yeah um i should say victorian era like (laughs) those those places didn't care about going to victoria um (laughs) But so that that was cool, just to kind of see different parts of the world, and they they're very, they are very much just kind of like snapshots, very kind of documentary, hands off. Yeah. Um. Kind of. But it's neat. It's, it's a nice. It's yeah, slice of life kind of stuff. It's um. Yeah. There was there was one of people, uh, uh, just washing clothes in a river. Um. There's, there's a, they got like a police parade in Chicago, which when I searched for that one, I found a lot of very unseemly police stuff from modern day. Uh, <laughs> oops. In a way, they were advancing film by moving the dang camera, you know? Because um, yeah. uh, the, um, that leaving Jerusalem, that Jerusalem film was, uh, was on the back of a train. And so you're seeing you're seeing the train leaving the station. You're just seeing like the, the camera move, uh, uh, like the, 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 I don't know how to describe it. You're the camera's on the back of the train. Yeah. (laughs) You see the station falling away into the background. Yeah. Um, and that was Promeo and, uh, that, that along with, um, there was another one called the Haverstraw tunnel that was done by American Mutoscope and Biograph, uh, WK Dixon's company. That was another train film, but this was on the front of the train. Um, and uh, there was also a Lumiere, another Lumiere on a boat shot uh, uh, that was set in Nice. But um, these were forming a genre that I believe is called Phantom Ride Films. Uh, so just like kind of the, the, the slow TV of the day, the kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean getting to sit on a train and see how it moves is probably pretty fantastical to a lot of people at that time. Uh, 
and and you get to, i mean just having the camera move in general it's a it's a handy yeah. way of of having camera motion um it is mm-hmm. they've always been tied to vehicles so far <laughs> yeah yeah um and yeah i think i mean uh filmmaking was definitely expanding kind of across more of the more of the world yeah at this time also like i think 1897 was the first films to be released or to be made and released in spain argentina and denmark mm-hmm. um so it's it's kind of cool to see it like um you know it's catching on in more places yeah yeah it's it's really like exploding all around the world it's, it's wild to see how fast this is happening you know yeah i kind of expected the first few weeks of this podcast to be kind of bland and boring and more like edison tests from 19 from 1894 but like once the lumieres did their thing like cinema just got so international it was within Mm. such a short amount of time pre-planes yeah it's also cool how many of the people who were like pretty notable already just went to the first lumiere exhibition and were like this is cool sign me up yeah a real who's who (laughs) um uh lumiere's also released a couple kind of more fantastical movies this year um but they they felt to me like they were definitely kind of uh trying to punch above their weight a bit (laughs) yeah yeah um you know they're 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 bougie documentary uh, French people, not whimsical, uh, whimsical, magical French people like <laughs> Meliers. Um, exactly, the two types of French people, <laughs> and only two. Um, but yeah, there were um, there was like an adaptation of a scene from uh, uh, Faust. Faust, yes, um, which used a bit of the Meliers style uh, jump cuttery and macabre, but in but it- a more bland way. <laughs> yeah. It, it only had one jump cut teleportation effect. And I was like, come on, you're going to have to do better than that. Got to up I your mean, game. You got to up those numbers. <laughs> Meliès is doing like 20. Uh, you know, Guy Belanchet is doing like 10. Like he got exactly, you got to get those numbers up. <laughs> um, a fun, I want one of them that I did find pretty fun was a Mary skeleton, which is just a spooky dancing skeleton. A spooky, scary skeleton. Now I know um, what to use for my intro music. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, some of the arms come off and go back on. It's kind of like... Um, uh, it's against, the black, against a black background, and so you can kind of... You can kind of tell that, like, when the arms come off, there's just someone holding it who's wearing, wearing black and sort of... Oh, really? I wasn't um, clear on if that was uh like a uh, um a puppet or if it was stop motion at all no i think it's it's all puppetry but it's mm. sort of using the black background to kind of hide some of the 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 effects of it um i will say the best serpentine dance movie that i watched from this year was a lumiere brothers a production oh wow you're watching those serpent serpentine dances i i watched i i was throwing <laughs> i threw a few in there just to get i was like i wanted to see if they were really developing at all and they're not right. at all they're all the same <laughs> um, i know there was a point where i was just like no there's way too many of these and they're all the same yeah i think um i saw some comment on one video on i watched um 
uh, Alice Guy Bonchet's Serpentine Dance movie, and there mm-hmm. there was a comment saying like, um, saying like you know any anyone who was someone had to do a Serpentine Dance movie yeah. at some point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much, that's sort of like the go to. People loved Serpentine Dances. Um. <laughs> Um, but I guess that brings us to probably the most sort of like technical, uh, breakthrough of the Mm. year Mm -hmm. or the most sort of like notable, um, I don't know, breakthrough. Yeah. That is the, the Corbett Fitzsimmons fight. Very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell by the fact that we both turned it off after a couple minutes. Um, but it is a... It is the first feature film, the very first feature film. It's uh, depending on it's it's a little unclear because a lot of a lot of the film itself is lost, but it's somewhere between seventy and a hundred minutes long, um, and it's also the first widescreen film. It yeah, was, it was that it was shot on some weird new format. Everybody's coming up with their own weird new formats. That, I I believe it was 60, 63 millimeter film. 63 um, millimeter almost yeah. there <laughs> yeah um and uh it was the aspect ratio was 1.65 to 1 uh which is european widescreen um mm. uh and uh yeah it is a filmed boxing match uh and i don't know i don't quite know how they did it how they got the got the thing to run that long apparently he brought like an extreme like tens and tens of thousands of feet of film to the uh space where the boxing match was happening and he used about 20 percent of it but he was he came prepared uh, yeah the, the guy who shot this um i did read up on it um i forgot the guy's name unfortunately that did shoot it <laughs> we can we can splice that in later um uh he kind of invented or created a new a new thing which was he he basically built a giant camera darkroom hybrid with a team of people in it what um he he built you're uh, saying sort of... that enoch j rector did that <laughs> I, I just looked it indeed up. i am um <laughs> enoch j rector himself built this sort of this little shack this sort of structure that had uh three um camera mechanisms in it and uh because at that time the film was sort of like photography film, it wasn't sensitive to red light. And so they had windows with red glass in them uh, to let in lights so they could see. Whoa. And they had three hand cranked camera mechanisms uh, lined up next to each other, which alternated. So as one would run out of film, they would start shooting on the next one. What? And then start shooting on the. I th- well, I think they had two running at once, and then the third was like a backup or something. I'm not exactly sure what their what the order was or sort of like what their exact technique was doing that. Uh-huh. Um each camera had 8 minutes of film. Um wow. But yeah, That's... overall they got you know upwards of what uh, 100 minutes something like that. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere around 70, 80, 90, 100 minutes. Um and yeah, it uh it premiered in New York City and toured the world. Um, I kind of debate the, the fact that this is the first feature length film just because I, it is a film, (laughs) but it's, it's, 
it's a filmed boxing match. And I guess that makes it an actuality or a documentary, but Yeah. It's considered a documentary, at least by Yeah, I guess. It's just like I don't know. It's like first feature film is just like, yeah, we just filmed the thing that took a long time. Right. Yeah, it was literally just a um, long boxing match. And yeah, no, the whole thing doesn't still like you can't watch the whole thing anywhere. You can only watch about I think twenty minutes of it. Um I think yeah, some a lot of a lot of, of the it. film is lost. Um, um, I got through about five, and then I was like, ah, I get it. Um, <laughs> it is it is very cool, just like to read about how they pulled it off, and to kind of see those sort of like clips of it, just because it it does look the widescreen aspect ratio is pretty different. Um, hmm. hmm. Yeah, but, I for um, some reason actually couldn't find it in widescreen. Um, I only found it in widescreen in very low quality, like incredibly low quality. Oh yeah, maybe that's what I was looking at because it looked like a like a cryptid or something, like a, 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 a <laughs> video a video of Nessie. Oh yeah, that's that is kind of widescreen. I'm seeing. Um, yeah, I found like a, I I watched a higher quality version that uh, I guess was not widescreen. Yeah, there's a I think on Library of Congress or something like that, you can their website you can watch a, a much a much higher quality section of it. Um yeah. but it's cropped. So what's the point? Um But well, that's la- sort of a, a neat thing. That is neat. Yeah. <laughs> that's I think considered by many to be the most notable film of this year, but it's also just kinda of boring. Um, yeah it's not really it's it's cool to to talk about and to like look at its place in history but it to actually watch it is is not terribly interesting um i guess one other thing was that part of the uh part of the allure of the film was that prize fighting was illegal when it came out in 21 states um and Mm. so they as they toured this thing around uh it was attempted to be like banned at certain points um (laughs) just because of how more more unseemly early film stuff kind of playing on the edge of the law even there yeah um and i guess so one one last thing that i have uh uh is that there people are starting to make filmed commercials uh which i thought was really really interesting um the the very first one was done by the lumieres uh the previous year in 1896 but there were there were two pretty notable ones that came out this year. There was one for um, Dewar's Scotch whiskey that had some like dancing Scotsman in it, and then there was an Admiral cigarette ad. That uh, <laughs> there there was there were some people uh, just like standing in front. There's some commotion happens that I couldn't quite understand. But then this guy in a funky costume comes out and uh, and knocks a bunch of things out of their hands. And then they all start smoking cigarettes, and they unroll a big, a big banner that says "We all smoke." And then they point, <laughs> they they point to an admiral cigarette mural behind them. <laughs> oh boy! And uh, yeah, it's 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 wild. I mean, I guess that stuff was just being spliced into film programs as they were being exhibited at this time. <laughs> uh. And we'll take this time now to uh, to thank our sponsor for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Admiral cigarettes, exactly. <laughs> red, ap- red apple cigarettes, probably more like. Uh, you got anything else, Glenn Covell? Not, I don't think so. I think, I think that's, 
that's just about that's just about it um, for this year, anyway. All right. Well, I'll see you in 1898 then. Oh. Where we'll be seeing I don't know what because I haven't looked at it yet. Um, I've I've done a little bit of peeking. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think there 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 should be some interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Some some notable stuff. Um. Well. To you, listener, I will say, uh, thanks for thanks for listening to us talking about extremely old movies. Thank and, you for making it this far. Yeah, and uh, we hope to see you next week for more extremely old movies. Uh, and feel free to suggest to us anything that you feel like belongs on our watch list, and uh, we will take a look at it. Certainly. Uh, and, you know... Uh, I don't know, like us on Facebook or whatever, Twitter, etc. <laughs> I, who cares? Um, <laughs> just listen to the podcast. That's all I want. Message me on yeah. TikTok. Like I said, uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. I'll see you next week. Yeah. Sounds good. Bye. A spooky, scary skeleton shouts startling shrilly screams. The sneak from their sarcophagus and just won't